Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're talking about Miracle Seed for Miracle Harvest. That's the name of our series for the four weeks that we're doing this. As we're talking about something that's familiar to many of you, new to some of you, and that is how to give. And in this particular series, we're talking about a a name that I've given it called Faith Harvest, which is simply a sowing of a seed for a particular purpose to reap that harvest for the kingdom of God. And so we're talking about what it means to be a good giver. Now, one thing that happens as you begin your Christian life, Charles Spurgeon, the great old preacher in England, said, well, when a person is converted, there's three conversions that takes place in every person. Their head, their heart, and their pocketbook. Not all three happens at the same time. Sometimes we convert to Christianity and to the Word of God, and we change our life, and we get forgiveness of sins, and we change some of our thinking, but we don't always change our habits. And some of our habits, when we come to Christ need to be totally uh, rooted out of our life and rebuilt a new habit into our life. How many of you ever had any bad habits you had to get rid of? How many have ever had any bad financial habits? How many are glad to get rid of all those? Yeah, we're glad to get rid of bad financial habits because they will reap havoc in our physical, natural, tangible world, and also uh, will stop what we can do in the kingdom of God. And we don't want that to happen. So we're talking this morning and in this series about what it means to be in uh, the area of giving, how you actually position yourself to release into the kingdom of God what God wants you to do. Now, for you to be a great giver, would you just turn to your neighbor right now and say, I really want to be a great giver. Just confess that to somebody. I really want to be a great giver. But unfortunately, there are some things that stop us from doing that. One is that we're all born into Adam, born into sin, and we're born into stinginess. We like to get more than we like to give. And so our carnal nature, our natural man, is not really a liberal man. And so when we come to Christ, we're born again. And of course, as we come into Jesus, we come into a new man and we should change. But we still have a little fight with the old man, the old carnal self, the old Adamic nature that doesn't like to let go of much. We like to play it safe and keep everything close. And that's not really the scripture for you. And that's not what God wants to happen in your life. doesn't want you to play it safe and keep everything close. He wants you to learn how to be a liberal and generous person, not just with your money, but with your entire life to serve with your time and your strength and your talent and your resource to be a liberal person, to let go and to give to others every part of your life so that you can help other people. In order to be a great giver, you have to at least lay a good foundation. The good foundation, first of all, is a stewardship foundation. You have to understand stewardship. Now, stewardship is the word that most of you have heard, but you have to know at least what I call the three-step plan for stewardship, which I dealt with in the last services. I'm not going to preach it again, but I want to rehearse those three points that I gave you for stewardship, and every person should activate these. One is the word giving. A steward is a giver, and a giving steward, a giving person, does what? They activate the divine laws of God. Things begin to happen in your life when you start giving your time, when you start giving your resources, when you take your talent and plan it, when you take your hard work and do something with it, when you start giving of yourself, 
A divine law is released and something begins to happen in your world. God will begin to bless those who know how to give. Second is the word receive. You've got to be a receiver. You not only give, but you also expect to receive, which is a doctrine that I'll deal with before this month is over, on how to position yourself to receive divine provision, divine opportunity, supernatural provision, supernatural opportunity. When God opens a door, how he pushes you through it. How do you receive from the hand of the Lord? It's very important that I receive the open doors and the opportunities that God has for me. God is a great provider. One of the names of God in the Old Testament is El Shaddai. He's the mighty provider. He knows how to provide mighty in our life. He's not El Chipo. He's El Shaddai. Now, some people see God as El Chipo. They see God as just giving you enough to get by and answer just a few of your prayers and, and give you a little bit of fulfillment in life and help you with most things but not all things because he wants to keep you kind of under everything and keep you needy and keep you kind of poverty-minded so that way you'll be humble and you won't have to worry about it. But that's not really the way of God. God is a mighty provider. Say that with me. God is a mighty provider. Now turn to your neighbor and say, he's not El Chipo. Now say to one another, and neither should you be. You don't want to be an El Chipo with your friends, with your life, with your children. You don't want your children to say, Dad, you're just an El Chipo. Well, you have to have a liberal soul, of course, with discipline. Third, prosper. Prosperity is relevant, and my term for prosperity is very simple. More than enough. More than enough. Simply meaning, God wants you to have your needs met, whatever your needs might be. My needs might be different than your needs, and they are. But God wants to provide for you. It says in the Bible, everybody should work. God blesses working people. You should have a job. You should have a good job. God blesses diligence. The book of Proverbs deals with the diligent soul. God does not bless laziness. God does not endorse laziness. God does not endorse foolishness. God does not bless foolishness. Your boss, your job, when it comes time for promotion or a raise, he doesn't think of the laziest person on his staff. Who can I promote? I'm going to promote the laziest person that I have working for me. That's what I do. Maybe the promotion will encourage them to work more. You don't promote lazy people because they might multiply after their kind. You don't want their tribe to increase. And so you don't bless a lazy person. You don't promote a lazy person. You don't do that as an individual. If you own a business, have people work for you. If you're a person that's working for a business, you don't want to be a lazy person because you want to prosper. You want to have more than enough. To have more than enough means you have to operate at least the bottom line divine law. You have to be a giver. You have to be a receiver, a hard worker, a hard manager, wise decision maker. You have to plant your seed, and then you have more than enough. What happens usually in Christianity, and John Wesley pointed this out early on in his writings, and it was something that baffled him. He called it the RLI dilemma. Redemption, lift, and isolate. The RLI dilemma in early Methodist churches, John Wesley started it. The RLI dilemma was simply as people were redeemed, they were lifted out of their old life. And when they were lifted out of their old life, They would become blessed. They were better workers. They would manage their money more. They would become givers to a certain level. 
But as soon as they would begin to uh, receive the blessing of God, they would isolate it to themselves. They would not know what to do with more than enough. And so they would isolate the blessing or they would eat the blessing themselves. And he could not get that seed of missions into the next generation because they would redeem, they would lift, and then they would isolate the blessing to themselves. When you serve God, your life will get better. When you serve God, your finances will get better. When you serve God properly, your relationships will get better. When you serve God, your mind will get better. When you serve God, your decisions will get better. When your mind is better, your emotions are better, your disciplines are better, your management is better, your habits are better, you're a more disciplined person, you're a diligent person, you're a person of integrity, you're a person of honesty, you're a person that any boss would love to have work, your life is going to be blessed. You're going to have promotions, you're going to have more than enough, God's going to begin to pour into your life, life itself will begin to pour into you. And at that point, people sometimes don't know what to do with the blessing that comes almost automatic if you really serve Christ properly. Because you're a special person. You're not a person who cheats. You're not a person who lies. You're not a person who lacks integrity. You're not a person who rips off the boss or badmouths the business. You're not a person who's always a negative dropper and a griper. You're a hard worker. You're all those things because you love Jesus. And Jesus says if you love him, you have to treat your boss just like you are working for Jesus himself. Some of you are thinking, if my boss was Jesus, I'd jump off a cliff. Well, that's not my point. My point is, the principle on how you serve is the principle that God will endorse and bless. Can I hear an amen? All right, so, you give, you receive, and you begin to prosper. Now, when you begin to prosper, that is, you have more than you need. You have choices. You have choices to begin to hoard You have choices to begin to increase every part of your material life. You have choices to waste money on things that will never, ever go past your grave. You have choices to sow your seed in the fields that have no multiplying back to you, have no kingdom value. And you can waste your life on those things. Some people never seem to get into their spirit what to do with their more. They just think it means more life for me, more cars for me, more houses for me, more everything for me. Our lifestyle has not really changed. My wife and I, our lifestyle has not really changed a whole lot in the last 30 years. We live in a little bigger house. We both have our own cars now. But there's not really a lot of huge changes in our lifestyle from what it was 30 years ago. We have plenty of clothes to wear. My wife has plenty of shoes to wear. Plenty of shoes to wear. And so there's all these blessings that have come into our life. But we have learned early on not to take everything above the need, which is the more, and use it on ourselves. Something in us said that's not right. Something in us said you got to sow outside your own house. Before we ever understood sowing to the poor, we started giving to the poor 30 years ago. Before we ever knew all the scriptures about if you give to the poor, you're lending to the Lord and all that. We were already giving to the poor. We were already supporting orphans and doing things in different countries before anybody ever taught us anything about these things. 
Nobody sat us down at the seminar and said, okay, if you're going to prosper, if you're going to be blessed of God, you need to learn how to uh, separate your, your needs from your wants and your wants from uh, some of the investments you need to do in life and the kingdom of God. Nobody sat us down and did all that. We just kind of felt what to do. We have extra. We should be able to help someone else. We always picked out of our congregation some single parents that we would bless. Not to separate single parents as if all of them need to have us bless them, but some of them do, and some of them just enjoy being blessed. And we would always pick out a... Usually it was a single mother. I'm, I'm sorry to say it was not a single father, but it was, it was usually a single mother because I thought the fathers take care of themselves. But the mothers and watch with their kids and the single parent, they're my heroes, all that they do in life. I think single parents are absolutely phenomenal people. Can I hear an amen? They're phenomenal people. And so we would find one and we'd bless them, just give them, help them at Christmas time and birthday time and just whatever it was, just find a few of them and just sow seed from our life. Into them. Nobody knew we were doing that. We didn't publish that. We didn't write books on it. No, it was just something in us that said, you know what? We have more. Everyone say more. More, more than enough. Therefore, we're going to sow into someone else's life and we're going to bless someone else a little bit with a little bit we have. It might be 10 bucks or 20 and 50 and then hundreds and then you just start and you keep sowing. Now, how do you sow a faith harvest offering? The tithe is the tithe is always the tithe. I'm not dealing with the tithe. But if you're going to be a good steward, you should deal with the tithe. Unless you just want to put the scripture outside your life and not worry about the tithe, you should worry about the tithe. Tithing is really not for God. It's for you. You think God's bank is going broke in heaven if you don't tithe? You think there's some kind of a thing that God has to have your money? It's not a money issue. It's a trust issue. People miss that so much when it comes to giving. It's not the money issue. It's a trust issue. Whether you actually trust God with your income, your tangible stuff in life. Oh, you can praise God, pray out loud, be a real spiritual evangelist and do all kinds of sharing of the gospel. But if your finances are kept only in your hands, you don't have a lot of faith in God. You don't really believe the scriptures. And so you have to kind of loosen your hand and say, okay, what do I do with my treasure? Okay, given a faith harvest offering, here's six things that everybody should do. One, you have to have a willing heart, which is a liberal, open-handed, and I love the Hebrew word here, it's spontaneous. Number two, you have to have the Holy Spirit stir you up. I cannot, will not dictate offerings to people. Now, you watched a testimony on the video screen this morning about Mark and Susan Jones giving their seed money with their education money they had set aside and they gave it. I would never counsel anybody to do that. If you came to me, I would tell you not to do that. Normally, I won't tell you anything to do with your offerings. But if you would come and say, Pastor Frank, I just think uh, we're going to give away our education fund and uh, give an offering to the Lord. I'd say, time out just a second here. Uh, you know what? That's not a real wise thing. I would take a pastoral role on that instead of a prophetic or, or a seed-sowing role. I would try, probably try to pull you back a little bit. That's why I don't like talking to people about their offerings. Why? Because your offering has to come through the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And if the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and you have faith for it, then what happened to Mark and Susan is not that it was an educational fund or any other kind of fund. They had faith for the money they sowed, and with the integrity of heart, God then came right back around and blessed them. Now, remember this, not everybody is blessed in a week. 
Not everybody is blessed in a year. Sometimes your seed is tested. Sometimes you sow seed and you don't see any harvest for a year or two. Sometimes you sow seed and the enemy comes in and knocks you down even more. And he tests and tests and tests your seed sowing. It doesn't always just work automatic. But if you keep sowing seed, ultimately the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, the vat. There will be a time where you will overtake. And it takes a lifetime of sowing. Our response right now in our lifetime, as we have sowed for decades, we are reaping benefits from things we sowed 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 10 years ago. It doesn't all come in at the same time. But as you just keep sowing your seed, the harvest will start overtaking you in your lifetime. And there will be what? Everyone say more than enough. More than enough. What will you do with it? All right. A faith harvest offering is given out of your own special treasure. It's your treasure you have to give out of. And this is where it does take faith to let go of some things. It's a sacrificial offering. It's a grace offering. And it's a seed offering. Now that's the the long and short of the faith harvest giving. It's willingness. It comes by the Holy Spirit. It's out of your own special treasure. It is sacrificial. It is by the grace of God. And it is a seed that you sow. Now, here's my simple definition of faith harvest offering. You've seen it before. Let's look at it again. A faith harvest offering is given by the believer. Everyone say out loud, that's me. You're the believer. With the knowledge that this seed that's sowed in faith, whatever you sow, believing God to water it, enable it to become the full harvest of what God desires to bring into my life. A specific giving with liberality, sacrifice, and faith. Now, here's two scriptures for you. I hope you take them down and hope you read and pray about it. Ezekiel 17, verse 5. Then he took some of the seed. Everyone say some. He took some of the seed of the land and planted it in a fertile field, a fertile field. He placed it by abundant waters and set it like a willow tree. God wants to take your seed, plant it in the right place. Plant it so it can be watered abundantly so that it will bring forth in its season. Only God can water your seed. Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 6. In the morning, everyone say out loud, sow your seed. And in the evening, do not withhold your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. And this is what happens. When people start in the morning, they think, I'm going to pray, but they never get around to it. I'm going to give, but sure enough, you find reasons not to. Then about the end of the day, you start thinking, you know, I really should pray, but you don't. And, you know, I really should give, but you don't. Why? The enemy comes in with all kinds of fears and intimidation and you start making excuses. And before you know it, you've missed the morning sowing and you've missed the evening sowing. And then you have to start with another day. I'm telling you right now, you have to resist some of the enemy's tactics when you start dealing with the spirit of faith. Faith for healing, faith for evangelism, faith for giving, faith for starting a business, faith for anything. You have to resist what the enemy will try to do to get you to doubt, to fear. What happens if I do this and nothing happens? Well, seed has power. Now, in the natural soul, the spiritual, here's what seeds are. Seeds are one of nature's mighty miracles. Seeds have been studied, and I'll tell you what, 
If I had time to do a series on seeds, I could do one for 60 weeks, not four. There is so much material in seeds that are so dynamic and wonderful and interesting. And when I think that the Bible uses this little idea that a seed, what a seed does, it's so interesting to study seeds. And I have books just on seeds because it does interest me. They're mighty miracles. Seeds that can be stored for hundreds of years and have life in them. Seeds so small that grow so big. Seeds have intelligence. They will not break ground if there's not enough light because they know they won't be able to live. Also, seeds have in them their greatest desire. You know what the greatest desire of a seed is that it will multiply itself. If it doesn't feel it can multiply, it won't break ground. And so when you start reading about seed, how does all that get into a seed? Only in our computer age would you believe the scripture. I think people a hundred years ago would have a harder time believing what a seed would do than we would. Why? Because we understand what a tiny little chip in a computer will do. It has enough information you can put in a tiny little, uh, oh, you can't even see it. It's so small. The whole uh, Britannica Encyclopedia, you can put uh, thousands and thousands of books in a tiny little pinhead and put it in a computer and it has all this information. It still baffles me that I can go to my computer, open the one little window, and I have libraries. I can go study in Scotland and Austria and Australia and, and wherever. I, I go to any university libraries all over the world. It is mind-boggling to me that I can bring them up on my little screen and I'm sitting in the library with thousands of books. How does it get through the line and come to my screen? It just boggles me. Sometimes I sit there so boggled I can't study. It just, it baffles me how I can go. Well, you know and I know there's power in a little seed. Because we see it with technology. Seeds are miracles. Seeds have a force of life in them. Seeds are living guarantees of continuity between generations. It's a very, 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 very special person that sows a seed to grow a tree that they'll never eat fruit from. They sow it for someone else. Have you ever heard the story of Johnny Appleseed, who he was and how he got started? How many know the story of Johnny Appleseed? How many do not know the story of Johnny Appleseed? Well, I wouldn't have known it either without going to the books and studying. But, you know, he worked at a cedar mill with seeds. And every day he would watch these mounds of seeds. And one day he had a thought. You know, these seeds are all wasted. And there's all these wagon trains, because he lived in the Midwest, that are going to the West Coast. He says, I know what I can do. What a funny thought this kid had. He says, I will go and plant seed all the way from where his mill was all the way to California. And as the wagon trains make their trip to the west, they will have fruit and they'll be able to live and eat from the trees that I plant. Johnny Appleseed. And so he did that. And as the years went by, his crop began to grow, and he was literally the Messiah, the Savior for thousands of people that lived on the fruit of his trees way after he was in the grave. They talked about him. What a vision to plant a seed for a tree that you'll never eat from. 
takes special faith for a man, a woman. Now, when you get older, you start thinking about this, and it's easy because you think of your children and your children's children, your grandchildren, and on and on. And you start thinking investment and leaving and making sure they have trees to eat from, and I'm going to plant for them. And even though they will, you will never see them graduate from college, you're going to make sure they have the scholarship. What a great heart. Even though you will never see the business they run, you're going to put a seed of money there for their business to be started. Even though you may never see, well, that's a very special person that has enough faith to plant for other generations. What kind of person are you? Who do you plant for? Seeds are produced by 250,000 plants, 800 trees. The seed size has no relationship to the size of the plant that developed from it. A 50-pound seed, that's the biggest seed in the world, is a coconut seed. 50 pounds. It's huge. But it still only grows just a coconut tree. The redwood tree, which is higher than the Statue of Liberty and bigger around than a greyhound bus, it's big. It's grown from a seed that is a sixteenth of an inch. Seeds have within them their own code of what should come from them. Don't you know that we should put some faith in our seeds? Can I hear an amen? What kind of seed are you sowing? All right, now, the significance of seed biblically is important for you to understand because the doctrine of the seed will give you faith to do what I'm preaching. If you think that I'm preaching for an offering, you will not hear what I'm saying. If you think that as a pastor preacher I'm setting you up, so that I can get more money for our vision or more money for our or more money for whatever, you're missing my whole point. There has to be a trust factor between you and I. Why am I dealing with money? Why would I teach you about sowing? And do I have ulterior motives? My motive is to obviously expand the kingdom of God, reach more people, touch more lives, which takes some conduit. The water of life is free, but the conduit costs. So we have campuses, we have ministries, we have things that have to happen in order to take care of people and pastors and staff. And we have all the counselors. Why? Because that's what it takes to take care of the harvest. But the water is free, but we set up for the harvest. Now, why would I teach you about sowing? Number one, I believe that sowing seed financially is biblical. So I must teach it. And number two, I believe sowing seed and understanding is a blessing for your personal life. And so I'm going to teach it on that ground, that it's biblical. Here's a term you need to write down. It's a hermeneutical term. Hermeneutics is the science of interpreting the Scripture through the laws that govern how you interpret the Bible. Did you write that down? Okay, now, here you go. The language of creation becomes the language of the symbol which becomes the language of redemption. I'll say it again. You need to get this because this is a key to Scripture. The language of creation. What do you mean the language of creation, Frank? I'm talking about the book of Genesis. What happened in creation? Such as what? Well, in the beginning was God, and God said, let there be light, darkness, earth, fish, trees, fruits, seed, all right, the language of creation, light, darkness, trees, fruit, fish, seed, multiply. The language of creation becomes the language of the symbol. 
So now, as the teachers of the Old Testament and the New Testament come along, they go back to creation, they pick up the language of creation, and they bring it over, and it becomes the language of the symbol. So that when the prophets prophesy, what do they do? They prophesy with things like mountains. They talk about the kingdom of God is like a mountain. And they prophesy about open heavens. They prophesy about rain and dew and rivers, and all these language of creation becomes the language of the prophet which then becomes the language of redemption as it slips through the cross and it becomes the spiritual portion of what you and I believe. The New Testament writers now speak of these things as spiritual things, not just natural. And so the language of creation becomes the language of the symbol, becomes the language of redemption. It actually has spiritual interpretations of things that are done in the natural. So what happens with light? It says we should walk in the light. Well, when you study light, don't be in darkness when you study darkness. And you should be like a tree that produces fruit. And you talk about roots and bringing up all the nutrition and producing what you have to have and what fruit. And so we know the book of Galatians talks about the fruit of the Spirit. On and on. Well, the seed also becomes a language of symbol that becomes a language of redemption, that becomes an inheritance for you know I to understand. So when I look at the seed, it's important I understand it's used in the Scripture for my spiritual life. I'm not making this up. I'm not just preaching on seed because I think it's something that I want to make up in my mind because it's a good symbol to use. It's a Bible symbol, and it has Bible interpretation. Here we go. The seed was symbolic and used in Scripture. Here's a few ways so you can check it out. Number one, the seed represents who? God's chosen people. Jeremiah 2.21, Yet I had planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. Yet you have turned. But the seed represents what? The people of God. Jeremiah 2.21. Number two, the seed represents what? The Word. You know that. I know that. Luke 8, verse 11. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the Word. Now, if you would take all the stuff on seed and put it into your heart and know that it's just what a seed does is just exactly what the Word of God does in you. Gives you faith to get more of the Word. Number three, the seed represents the kingdom of God. In Mark chapter 4, verse 26, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is, is as, as if a man should scatter seed. On the ground should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. And this is a very interesting phrase in Mark 4:26. It says, and he himself does not know how. He doesn't understand that he can't help the seed. He doesn't sit up all night worrying about the seed. He shouldn't rise and dig up the hole and say, oh, I hope the seed is growing. Because if you do that, you ruin the seed. You have to sow it. And let the seed do the work. Number four, the seed represents salvation. First Peter one twenty three, the incorruptible seed in us. And so there's a reproduction of Christ himself. Just imagine this. Imagine this. What a message. That Christ in you is the seed. And that seed has in it all the reproductions that Christ himself would bring into life. Because the seed you have is Christ himself. What a miracle. I have in me the seed of Christ. And that seed has a code that will reproduce Christ in me. It's magnificent. Number five, the seed represents prosperity and favor. Zechariah 8, 12, 
Ezekiel 17.5. Number six, the seed represents faith. Matthew 17.20, you know the scripture, if you have faith as a mustard seed, one of the smallest seeds in the whole seed kingdom is a mustard seed. Jesus says, if you have faith, just small, I mean, just a mustard seed, it will work. And number seven, the Bible says this, the seed represents your finances. Second Corinthians 9 and verse 10. Then may he who supplies seed to the sower. Paul, in the whole chapter, 8 and 9, talking about money. And bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase. He will furnish you with plenteous stores of seed and he will take care of the growth of that seed. Your money is like seed. Now, if your money is like seed, let me give you three little points just in two minutes to go home on. All right. Think about this with me. All right. The seed is a symbol. The seed is redeemed. The seed has spiritual power. The natural teaches me what to think about the seed. I know my seed one way is my money. It's my resource. It's my finance. 2 Corinthians 9. Read the whole chapter. I have three things I can do with my seed. Number one, I need to understand, number one, God is the supplier of my seed. That is, every person listening to my voice, no matter how you found it, as I read the word, you would understand, you have seed. Every person here already has seed. Every person has seed. But you choose what to do with it. What will you do with your seed? Well, you can put it in a barn and protect it and make sure nothing happens to it. Bad decision. Or you can eat it. Wrong decision. Never eat your seed. You have to sow it if you want to harvest. If you eat it, you will be happy for that loaf of bread or the grain that you can make in the sense you're living, that you eat the seed, but you'll never have anything outside of meeting your need because you keep eating your seed. Or you can sow it in the wrong place. Sow it in a place that has no power to bring back. You have seed. Americans have seed. World people have seed. Last year we gave $3 billion to 600 charitable organizations in America. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of seed sowing. But not in comparison to where people spend their money otherwise. You know how much money people spent on pets last year? $23 billion. Now, pets are a good thing. We have some pet store owners in our church, and they hate for me to talk negative about pets. But pets aren't going to go to heaven. You know that. But pets are for you to use on earth. And that's why if you run over them or lose them, you can get more of them. Not, they're not like children, not like people. They're pets. Last year, Americans spent $23 billion. Games, Nintendo, Sony, $11 billion on a game. Unreal. Now, if you sow into Nintendo... And you buy a $60 game and you sow into the industry. There is no seed sowing kingdom activity in there. It's a wasted field. If you sow into your cat or dog, I won't say what happens. Okay, God will supply you seed. What will you do with it? Number two, your sowers of your seed. So when you get it, you have to let it go. 
And number three, you're reapers of your seed. Okay, God, God will give you seed. You have to decide then to sow it. And then you have to have faith to expect it to produce. Now, when you give your seed, would you please at least say these words over it? When you give your seed, remember this. Even if you can't take it down, I'll try to get it out to you in writing, maybe in the bulletin or something. But when you give your seed, giving plants a seed that God multiplies for my miracle. I sow seed and I sow it with direction toward needs in the church, in our life, in our family, and other people's lives. Say, Lord, let this seed reproduce and bring forth. Number two, giving plants the seed, believing God will move my mountain. I have some mountains. How many of you have a few mountains you'd like to see moved? I have some. Three, giving sows my seed by faith, knowing what? That I have to sow before I reap. Wouldn't it be great if you could have resurrection without death? Everybody would choose resurrection, but we don't like the cross part. Death. No, I, well, you can't have resurrection unless there's death. Cross. How many would say, I'd love to have a great harvest? Come on, let me see your hand. Well, you can't have a great harvest if you don't sow. Can you think how stupid the farmer would look if he wouldn't sow anything for his potato field? And he sits there on the porch and say, what are you doing? I'm waiting for my potatoes. Well, you know... You didn't sow any potato seed, buddy. Oh, it doesn't matter. God will supersede the natural law. And you watch. I'll have potatoes next year. And he's out there, the other farmers, sowing and pulling the weeds and watering. And he's working that harvest. And harvest time comes. He has all these potatoes growing. The other farmer's sitting over there saying, I can't believe the devil robbed me. <laughs> yes, sirree, the devil got in again. And he robbed me of the blessing of God. Closed heavens and no blessing and the devil did it again. No, the devil didn't do anything. He didn't have to. You were dumb enough not to sow. He doesn't even have to use his dumb demon on you. There's nobody in the natural world that would ever look to reap if they didn't sow. And it's that way, folks, not just with your finances. It's in every area of your life. You want rich relationship? Sow in the people's life. You want good friendship? Be a good friend. You want your neighbors to help you? Help them. Yeah, it, it's the law of sowing and reaping. All right. I've got to close here. Giving, recognize Jesus as Lord of my seed, my harvest, my future, my fire, giving, so my financial seed into the good soil, even in the time of need. Here's our threefold goal. Okay. Got it? I would like you to call this in with me and believe with me. Here's three goals we have for Faith Harvest. A faith goal, which means we have to believe and move something to get to 650000 A great faith goal would mean we'd go beyond a little bit of sacrifice. We might just really shake heaven and earth and give a significant seed. And then a miracle faith goal would be a million. But, you know, a million dollars is not a lot of money nowadays. But it is to me. Now, if one person had a check for 650000 they could bump us up to the second goal right away. That is, you would meet the first goal just by cutting out 650000 Is there anybody that has a $650,000 check on either campus? I'm going to pray with you right now. How many of you believe that we can reach 
the faith goal. How many of you would believe we could reach the great faith goal? How many of you believe we should shoot at the miracle goal? How many of you would make the miracle miracle goal happen? Stand to your feet. We're going to sow some seed right now. The very first offering is the eldership. The eldership represents the leadership of our church, and we believe this is a spiritual principle. They must be first partakers. I have some of their cards. There's actually 23, 24 elders. I don't have all of them. But we're going to actually pray over their offering. Now, listen, next weekend, every service, you would bring with you the envelope that has the Faith Harvest envelope in it. It would be a card. Your card would indicate what you are believing for your Faith Harvest, whatever that number is. Let's say I'm believing for $1,000. And then you might have $100 in the envelope this coming Sunday that you start your Faith Harvest with, or 500 or whatever it might be, or 50 We will pray over every individual envelope during the whole Faith Harvest giving time. That's our tradition. That's how we do it. We have everybody during the worship service just kind of come as we're worshiping. We have the elders up there, and they just lay hands on your envelope with you. They agree with you to plant the seed, pray over you, pray a protection, and that's how we plant the seed. How many like that idea? It's kind of a cool thing. It gives us a chance to really pray with you, and people really like being prayed for when they're planting their seed also. Reach your hands toward this seed right here. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we plant this first, first seed for this particular season. Lord, let this seed prosper. Lord, anoint every elder to be a great giver so they would open the way for the people of God to give in a great way during this season. Lord, we want to open this Vancouver campus. It's a big step. Lord, we believe we've already sowed into it. Lord, we want to help Uganda, Romania, maybe New Zealand and Spain. and We want to sow in the many other fields around us. Help us, Lord, to have a great spirit of faith. Launch our church once again into a harvest time. In Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said Amen.